Will you please pray with me? Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, we uh, just thank you for your great love for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the great mercy and grace that you showed in his life and especially in his sacrifice for us, for our sin on the cross. Lord, as we come to you as the forgiver of our sin today, Lord, I pray that you would send your spirit out in our midst, that you would breathe new life in us today as uh, we repent and believe anew in you as the forgiver of our sin and the Lord of our lives. So come, Holy Spirit, build your people up for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I have a confession to make this morning that I hope doesn't surprise anyone here. On a daily basis, I sin. I sin in the things that I do, and I sin in the things that I leave undone. I sin in the way that I don't love God as he deserves to be loved. And I sin in the way that I don't love others like I love myself. In every sphere of my life, I consistently fail to live in perfect conformity with God's revealed will for my life. Sin is a real problem in my life. It's a real problem in all of our lives. And if our sin isn't dealt with, it subjects us to God's righteous wrath and judgment. Because as King David wrote in Psalm 51, all sin is ultimately against God himself. And even worse, we have an adversary that seeks to exploit the sin in our lives. When it's our sin, he whispers shame into our hearts. He tells us that we're unlovable. He tells us that God wouldn't forgive us and neither would anybody else. If they knew what we had done or if They knew who we really were. But when it's the sin of somebody else, he does just the opposite. He stokes our anger against them. He seeks to divide us from the people in our lives by exploiting our sin. Separation. Isolation. That's the goal of the enemy, keeping us apart from God, and from one another. Sin doesn't do anything good in our lives. It separates us from God and each other, and ultimately, it leads to death. Where is sin wrecking havoc in your life this morning? 
Is there something secret going on in your life that is allowing shame to rule your heart? Is there a broken relationship that just seems too difficult to mend? Where thinking of this other person just causes anger to well up in your spirit because what they've done to you or to somebody that you love. Sin. It's the true problem of our lives. Not our finances. Not our jobs. Not our marriages. Not our health issues. Sin is our problem. The sin that we commit and the backwash of the sin of others that inevitably impacts our lives day after day. It's sin that Jesus unexpectedly addresses in our gospel passage this morning out of Matthew 9. You see, as Jesus landed on the shore, the the word went out that the one who could cast out demons heal blindness and deafness, even paralysis, went out. And some friends of a paralytic got the news, and they rushed to their friend. They believed that Jesus could heal this man. They knew it to be true. They believed it so much that they went and they picked up him up on his bed or his mat, and they actually carried him from where he was into the very presence of Jesus. And don't you just think that a smile came out on Jesus' face as he saw these men. He calls out to them. He sees their great faith. But then he says something to them that must have surprised them. Be encouraged, son. Your sins are forgiven. Wait, Jesus. We didn't come here for that. We came here for healing. And while Jesus does ultimately heal this man's paralysis, Jesus first addresses the biggest problem in his life. He forgives his sin. We believe in the forgiveness of sin. Sin is a reality that must be addressed. And when it comes to sin, our Faith doesn't offer us false hope. It doesn't tell us that we can deal with our sin on our own, that we can do better, that we can try harder, that tomorrow we'll get it right. Our faith also doesn't dishearten us. It doesn't tell us that we're just out of luck, that there's no solution, there's nothing to be done. This is just the way it is. Instead, our faith points us to a person points us to Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and on our behalf. It proclaims the good news that God has done something about our sin. The gospel speaks of God confronting this besetting issue of our lives and on our behalf through his son. It's what Romans 5 verse 8 is talking about. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In his perfect and complete sacrifice of himself on the cross, 
Jesus deals with the sin of the world and opens the way of forgiveness and salvation from sin from everyone who would return to him in repentance and belief. The forgiveness that he gives is truly extraordinary. It's something that we can't even comprehend. Scripture tells us that when God forgives, he blots out our sin. He erases it. That he takes it from us as far as the east is from the west. And that he remembers it no more. We can't even understand that because when we forgive, it's so hard. We don't forget. But Scripture says that God forgets our sin. It's like it's no more. It's not even there anymore. And his forgiveness doesn't stop there. In forgiving, he doesn't just deal with our sin, but he reconciles the broken relationship that exists between us that was caused by our sin. We get a new identity in Jesus Christ. Sinners are declared saints. Outcasts are adopted as sons and daughters of God. Rebels become privileged citizens in God's kingdom. Slaves, slaves to sin, are set free to live the new and abundant life that Christ promised all who would come to him. When we confess our belief in the forgiveness of sins, we affirm who God is. We affirm that he is a God who is of great grace and full of mercy. When we confess our belief in the forgiveness of sins, we affirm Jesus Christ as the forgiver of our sins. And because of what he has done for us through his sacrificial offering of himself, we can know that we are forgiven. When we confess our belief in the forgiveness of sins, we affirm that we have a new identity in Christ, that we've been set free from the bondage of sin and death, set free to live for the glory of God. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. Each one of us is just like the paralytic in our gospel passage. We need God's forgiveness. In one sense, We're forgiven once for all when God gives us that gift of faith. Our sins are wiped away, and our eternal salvation is secure in Christ Jesus. But in another sense, forgiveness must become a rhythm of our life. We can't deny that we still sin. And we have to constantly return to God's throne of grace and mercy to receive the gift of his forgiveness day after day. It's what that disciple, John, the beloved disciple, was writing about in his first letter. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
cultivating and modeling that rhythm of forgiveness is something that we set out very intentionally to do in our corporate worship here together on Sundays. It's one of the reasons that we worship the way we do. Now, maybe you haven't really noticed this, but our worship here is a series really of movements. The first movement begins with an invitation. There's a call to come to worship God. And as we're called to worship him, we begin our worship by praising God. We praise his goodness and his greatness and his glory. That's why we sing and praise and worship. But as we do that, there's a moment of self-reflection. We realize that as great as God is, we fall short. That we don't live up to the glory of God. And so we come to God in a posture of confession. We confess our sins to God. We tell God that we've done things, we've said things, we've thought things that fall short of his glory. We confess that we haven't loved him and our neighbor like ourselves. And we humbly ask for his forgiveness. We repent each Sunday We intentionally turn away from those things in our lives where we've fallen short, and we turn to Jesus for the forgiveness that only he can give us. And then we're assured of the forgiveness that Jesus paid the price for on our behalf, what he did for us on the cross. In the absolution, we're assured of that forgiveness Listen to the words again. Almighty God, have mercy on you. Forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in new and eternal life. Each week in worship, we live out corporately our belief in the forgiveness of sins. Now, as God's people, we're a forgiven people. And because we've been forgiven, our identity as the people of God is that we are also a forgiving people. Henry Nouwen, who was a Dutch Roman Catholic uh, priest and theologian, he wrote this. Forgiveness is the name of love practiced among those who love poorly. See, even though we're forgiven, sin continues to creep into our hearts and into our relationships with others, especially, it seems, those that we love most. Jesus taught throughout his life and ministry that our lives as his followers must be marked by a posture of forgiveness. Unforgiveness is not an option for us. And Jesus did us the very big favor of giving us some specific instruction on what this rhythm of our life should look like. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus addresses what to do when we are the one who has sinned against someone else. His instruction there doesn't say to wait for them to come to us. His instruction there doesn't say, 
Well, wait and see if actually they come to you because maybe you didn't really sin against them. He says, if you realize that you've sinned against your brother or sister, go to them. Go to the one that we believe that we have sinned against and confess our sin to them and ask for their forgiveness. I had to do this very thing on the day that I, but day before I left for vacation. I was at the end of the day and I was just reflecting on that day and the Lord brought to mind an interaction that I'd had with uh, someone here in the body where I'd been short with them where my frustration had resulted in in me not being kind and gracious. And immediately as I heard the Lord kind of stir that up in my spirit, I I heard another whisper that says, oh, that wasn't that big of a deal. Don't bother with that. He probably didn't even know. I knew that that was wrong, though. So I picked up the phone, and I called this friend and brother, and I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how I was short with you. I'm sorry that I was frustrated with you. Will you please forgive me? And he quickly and graciously said, Brian, I forgive you. And our relationship, the bond of unity between us was restored. If we sin against someone, Jesus says that we must go to that person and seek forgiveness and pursue reconciliation. But Jesus doesn't just put the onus on the person that has sinned. He also speaks very specifically about the person that's been sinned against in Matthew 18. He instructs the one that's been sinned against to go as well. He says if someone has done something wrong to you, if they've sinned against you, that you're supposed to go to that person in private. Tell them how they hurt you. Tell them how they sinned against you. Pursue giving them forgiveness. Pursue giving them an opportunity to ask for your forgiveness. Pursue reconciliation. And whether it's the first time that this has happened in our relationship with this person, or whether it's the thousandth time, Jesus' instruction is the same. Forgive. Be reconciled. Don't let this sin remain between you. You see, Jesus takes the sin in our relationships just as seriously as he takes the sin in our relationship with God. And because of that, whether we are the one who has sinned or been sinned against, We always have to intentionally pursue reconciliation, being ready to say, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And when somebody asks for forgiveness, we say, yes, I forgive you. Jesus' teaching on this is so important that it's why every week, after our confession and our absolution, We pass the peace, right? We get up and lots of hugs and handshakes, and that's wonderful, where there's no relational wedge between anyone. But this is the point in our movement of worship together where we have the chance to live out Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. This is the point where we're all gathered together, and the Lord stirs it up in our hearts 
that there is something between me and Rick or me and somebody else. I need to go to them, and I need to say, I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? It's what God calls us to do together weekly because he is jealous for the unity of the Spirit in our midst. He is jealous for the unity of his body, his beloved bride, his church. Is there someone that you need to ask for forgiveness this morning? Is there someone that you need to go to because they've sinned against you? Don't let the day go by without going to that person. Live out your faith. Pursue reconciliation. There's one last movement in our worship together where we live out our belief in the forgiveness of sins. And it's when we come to the table of the one who is the forgiver of our sins. And the words that are written right here, we remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. We remember how his body was broken to pay the price for the sin that we committed. We remember that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. When we come to the table, we profess Jesus as the forgiver of our sins and the Lord of our lives. And so this morning, I want us to make our coming to the table, which we're going to do in just a few minutes, an act, an outward and visible sign of the inner repentance and belief in our hearts. As an outward sign that we are declaring that Jesus is the forgiver of sins in our lives. And then as we take his body and blood, as we're nourished by our Lord and our Savior and our forgiver. Let us pray that the Spirit strengthens us and encourages us for the work of reconciliation amongst us, that we would be empowered to go out, to put into practice the faith that we believe. Come to the table this morning as a living testimony of your belief in the forgiveness of sins. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you so much, um, Lord, for the forgiveness that we have in the person and ministry of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would come now as we've talked about sin, as your Spirit may have been moving and stirring in our hearts and revealing some things to us. And, Lord, I pray that you would protect us that you would protect us from the enemy and his designs to cause that sin in our lives to divide us, to separate us. And Lord, that you would help us to remember that your purpose in revealing sin is for there to be reconciliation. 
is for forgiveness to be offered, extended, and received in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that we would know that we are a forgiven people. And I pray, Lord, that our lives would be lived to the glory of the praise of your grace and that that grace would flow out of us in the way that we forgive one another. All of this we ask gratefully and thankfully in the name of the one who is the forgiver of our sins, the Lord and Savior of our lives, Jesus Christ. Amen.